Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. All right, Romans chapter 6. If you'll preach fast, well, trade that. If you'll listen fast, I'll preach fast. If you'll preach fast, I will listen too. Uh, but Romans chapter 6, um, I want to talk about baptism. I, know, I was thinking as we were um, celebrating our baptisms this morning that it's not, the, it's not a formula that makes it work. It's not exactly the things we say. It's, it's the reason we're doing it and what we intend to do from this moment on. So as we go into the water, it's not, I, I don't believe personally in, in the water is the thing that redeems us. I think it's uh, Christ's blood that redeems us, and we, we recognize that reality through a symbol of baptism, that we're being buried with him in baptism, being raised to newness of life, to walk with him. And so the actual moment of our conversion is not at our baptism. It's when we, we said yes to Jesus by faith, and Christ comes into our life and begins that inner work of transformation. And then the baptism is the outward uh, witness or testimony of what God has done. And as that takes place, of course, uh, we need to recognize the realities of that. Um, let's, let's look at Romans chapter 6. And uh, I will tell you that uh, there's a lot in this passage, and we'll, we'll just read through it, uh, verse 1 through 23. All right? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in his death, like in the death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but also alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, excuse me, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we... Uh, sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Let me take a breath and read this last paragraph. All right? I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, uh, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap? At, the time, at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of, those things resulted in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, we, we read this whole passage, and if you know Romans, you know that this is uh, this is Paul's theology of salvation, of what it means that God has uh, redeemed us and what that means for us in practical terms. And so 
Um, in most of Paul's letters, you find that uh, he will write, the first portion will be theology. It'll be the teaching. It'll tell us what's true about our salvation or the particular um, issue that's at hand. And then at some point in the letter, the letter shifts. And this is true not only of Paul's letters, but of a lot of ancient writings during this time period is that there would be some kind of, if it was an ethical writing, there would be some kind of teaching, and then it would shift to how do you live this out? How do you practice this? What does this mean for us? But it looks like in Romans chapter 6, Paul jumps the gun a little bit because the real application portion of the letter doesn't really come till chapter 12. And then he starts to lay out what all of this means. But in chapter 6, we get things like, like count yourselves dead to sin. Okay, That's practicality. That's, that's as a result of what Christ has done. You might notice as we read through here that... Uh, it talked a lot about death and life. I don't know if you counted them up yet, but this is a great way to understand a little bit of what the focus is of the passage. But in this passage, we read 18 times the word death or its relatives. Death, dies, dying, things like that. 18 times in these 23 verses. That's a lot, okay? Uh, and then there's 12 times it talks about life. That's not suggesting to us that life's less important, but the emphasis of this passage is upon the death that Christ died and what that means for us. It means something for us. It means something on the positive, positive side. In one sense, as we, we think about Christian teaching, there is a lot of emphasis on death, but the emphasis on death is the gateway to true life in God. Come on, say amen to that. Do you, aren't you glad for that? That his death in our place means life for us. Now, when it talks about death here, it's talking about Christ's physical death on the cross at first. And then when it talks about our sharing in his death, it means something like uh, our dying in principle. Uh, we've not yet died physically because you're here today. Okay? Maybe you have died and you've been revived. But uh, my point is that I think you're breathing. Put, uh, if you've got a little mirror, put it out in front of somebody's nose next to you. Find out if there's breath coming out. And if, the, if there is, they're alive and you're alive too. And so uh, in in the physical reality, you're here alive, but there's a spiritual principle in which if you've received Christ, your old person is dead. Come on, that's true. And when we understand all of this, it brings, it brings some freedom and it brings some direction in the Christian life that the old life, the old identity that we used to have has been crucified with Christ. And that's good news for us. He died a death for us. I can't explain the mechanics of all of this. It's not only uh, his death, but it's also our death in union with Christ. We share in his death, and in doing so, he freed us from sin. That's the, the gist of this passage. And so it's not only uh, when we talk about sin, and it's going to mention in just a moment uh, as we look at this, he's going to mention how uh, he died to sin, but it wasn't his sin that he died to. It was ours. Are you with me? He, he carried our sin as a burden bearer to the cross so that when he died, he died for our sins as a sin bearer. I can't explain the mechanics of this except that he died in our place. And so in a sense, Christ's death was our own death. And ours means not everyone's, but ours is those who have come to him by faith, faith trusting that he died, faith trusting that he died in a way that impacts us and affects us. Are you with me so far? That his death affects us in some way. His death means our death. Okay? Not in the physical sense. The physical sense of our death is coming as, as one of the consequences of sin. But also I would suggest to you a, an aspect of God providing liberty. Because the moment that we die, if we're Christians, we go to be with Christ, right? Okay? There's a freedom from this old way of living. And he's going to give us new and glorious bodies. And so life does not end. At death, it continues, and especially for the believers, because we come into the fullness of what, what life means. So the focus um, through all of this is the now, and um, we will be raised with a body like his at the resurrection, but the resurrection life is to begin right now, right now, the resurrection life begins. You, you know, in one sense, we're going to have a new and glorious body, but when Christ comes into our life, the Bible always treats that like that life begins the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. The life of God comes in, and we begin to live the eternal life now. Did you know that? 
that eternal life isn't just what we get in the future. The, the principle of eternal life dwells in us right now. The life of God is in you right now. So something happened. You went from death to life when you received Christ. Automatically, by well, not automatically, however, however he accomplishes that, we go from death to life. Let me go quickly through this passage. And my hope this morning, we're short on time, is just to, to look at it and look at some of the details and expound upon it and do it as quickly as possible, but for us to, to glean some insight into what Paul is saying here. The first thing I want to mention here is that when we're baptized... We're baptized into him, okay? This is a kind of way of being uh, brought into Christ. If you look at verses 1 through 4 again, 1 through 4 says this. You'll see it uh, come out here. What shall we say? What shall we continue in sin? By no means. Verse 2, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. This is the first thing we need to know is that when we receive Christ, there's a sense in which our life enters into Christ. We become living within him. Okay, That's important. I don't know if we can unpack all that this morning, but we live in him. We're baptized into Christ. That's in verse 3. Okay, And if you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death. Notice that in verse... Uh, Verse 3, once again, don't you know that if you were baptized into Christ, that you were also baptized into his death? This means that as we, we come into Christ, there's a sense in which the old person dies. The old person dies. Now, you might find that you still have some old cravings or you still have some old habits that exist from our life before God. But the principle of sin's mastery over us has died when we come into Christ. Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live. So we're baptized into Christ. Uh, is our identity sin then, if we're baptized in Christ, or is it something else? I ask you, are we still living? And I, this troubles me a little bit because I think sometimes because we don't get this, we continue to live under our old identity. And that's a problem. We don't have to live under that old identity anymore. Now, you still have to go to job, and the IRS still knows your Social Security number, all of that. You, uh, you may go to the same job and make the same, like, you don't get saved, and you get bumped up 10% in your income so that you can tithe and all of that. No, everything kind of remains a little bit the same. We go to the same address, but we're not the same person going to that job or paying those taxes or living at that address. Something has changed. It's no longer us. We have so much emphasis on us in our culture. It's all, it's all about me. When the very root of this passage says it's not about us, it's about him. We died. How can we have such self-importance when we've died? We're, we've died. It's now all about Christ. So something has changed. What's our identity? Is it, is it God? Is it something else? How can we continue in sin if we've died to that, okay? Verse 3 and f uh, 4 take, uh, take three lines to explain it. He says, don't you know? Don't you, don't you know? Uh, you can almost <laughs> hear that with a northern accent, can't you? Uh, it's something like, have you not become aware, as Paul's unpacking the Christian life, have you not become aware that uh, when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into you are baptized into him. It's not just a baptism into a faith or allegiance to some kind of religion or you've made yourself a, uh, you know, just making a statement of some kind that you're going to change in life. You're being baptized into Christ, okay? Uh, then he says in the next part of this um, that you're buried with him in baptism. The NRSV says that you're buried with him by baptism, uh, this is as a consequence of being baptized into Christ, that you're, buried, you're baptized into his death. So in other words, as you've, you've come to Christ and you've received him as Lord, you, it's more than just saying, Jesus, come into my heart and transform this life that I have. Uh, it's much more than that. And I think sometimes we like to add Jesus as an accessory, like, you know, those little packets of tea that you can sprinkle into your drink, your water, to make it taste not like water, or Kool-Aid, add a little bit of uh, 
the sugary stuff, and it makes everything better. Everybody awake? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And I think sometimes we like to have a little bit of Jesus like that, just a little Jesus in our water, and that will help change everything for our lives. It'll at least make it taste better, but it's still our cup of water. Okay? And the way we need to think of it is, is that as we come to Christ, there is a sense in which we're abandoning it. All of our plans, all of our scheming, the us life, the me life, this is Jesus now. Okay, He's the Lord now. This is all about him. If you need another verse on this, just to know I'm, I'm not taking a little passage and twisting out of proportion, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I. Christ lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not us living. See, we get real selfish about things. Like, we talk about my life, and we talk about how I'm going to do this, and, and what my plans are, and thinking about all of that. But if we're truly in Christ, the question becomes, what does God want with this life? We are a vehicle for his presence and his purpose. It changes everything. And if we've not gotten it, let's get it today. Let's get it deep in our heart today that this doesn't belong to us anymore. We're baptized into his death. And Paul tells us what believing in Christ means. It means participation with him in the events of the cross and the resurrection. Now, we weren't born yet, but when we receive what he's done, his gift works towards us in our lives today. We were bought under the same blessing by joining yourselves with Christ You're brought under the same blessing. You're joined to him in what he's accomplished. It's it's in some ways would be like being adopted into a family, that that family's uh, blessings and traditions become your inheritance. Okay? And you're, you're adopted in. You're brought into Christ. And all that Christ has accomplished and all that he is is yours by virtue of relationship. You don't have it alone. You have it because of allegiance to him. You have it being in him. So that if there's anything good in our lives, it's from him. And if we're gonna, if there's any spoiling, it's from us. From us, let's just say it this way, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? And let's be careful not to blame the world for all of our problems. So we need to take ownership, don't we? Like some of it's us. We need to grow up. We need to be more disciplined. We need to, we need to accept responsibility. And let's not blame the devil. The devil is good at what he does. He's not the only one. If you if the devil tempts you and you make the decision to go along with it, you're still culpable. Okay, we can't just say the devil made us do it, and then that's going to hold water with God because it's not. <laughs> the devil will get what's coming to him, but we still have a responsibility to do the right thing. Are you with me? So that he calls us to this kind of responsibility, and we we would call this uh, this uh, whole thing corporate solidarity that. That's what, what's, what's true of the one is true of the many because of our relationship to him. We're brought into his franchise, okay? We're brought into his ownership. What's true of him becomes true of us. And what's true of him is that he died, so we die. And what's true of him is that he was raised by the power of God to life. And we're raised to life. Right now, like, we don't live this Christian life on the, in the old ways, we live it because the life of God now lives in us. We can live that out by his, his power. He's given us the newness of life, and in that death, there is a break from sin. But I get ahead of myself here. I'd like you to notice in verses 5 through, five through 10 uh, that we're united with him. So the first one is, is that we're baptized into him. Okay, That's talking about the beginnings of this and on all that that means. But it talks about now him being uh, us being united with him. Look at verse 5 and following with me. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that the old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, uh, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died once for all. Excuse me, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then it's going to say, 
some practical things in the next verse here. But in verses 5 through 10, I just want to point this out because I think it's really important. If you're united with him in death, you're united with him in life. Okay? If you've died with Christ, life is promised to us. If we're still living the old life, what kind of life can we claim in him? Do you know what I mean? That this isn't all on us, but there, there's a sense in which we come into him and he says, these things are true of us, now live them out. You'll see this again and again in Scripture. This is what's true of you, now live it out. Okay. Um, in Ephesians, there's this constant reminder, this is what God has done for you. And then it says things like, now live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So he calls us into that power. He calls us into that life. He calls us into that transformation uh, as we walk in unity with him. Notice uh, it says, I think it's verse 5 here, if we have, if is like a conditional statement, right? Like somebody might and somebody might not. But if we have been united with him in death, in the death like his, what are the next words? We will, what? Certainly, certainly. I, we pass over words like this. They become like boiled peanuts, real mushy, right? Uh, if we, we don't take time to stop and look at what it is. But uh, the word certainly here is a logical emphatic. It means that this is what follows, and then it kind of elevates and says, if this is the case, then certainly that is the case, okay? One example of this, just it doesn't use this word, but in Romans 8, at the end of it, it says, if he did not spare his own son, but freely gave us up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us freely all things? Okay. And the point of that is that if he did this, he will certainly do that. Okay. The certainly is emphatic. It's, it's something that's used to make a, 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 a strong statement. We get this mushy, but this word has a supportive frame, which, uh, if it's used right, will uphold us in times of doubt. Certainty means without doubt, okay? Without doubt in truth or fact. Webster defines it that way, and it, he goes on to say, especially on the basis of evidence. The evidence that we're talking about here is that Christ died, okay? I think sometimes we treat this, although we would never say it this way, we treat this like a useful fiction that somewhere back in mythological past, some miracle is supposed to have occurred where a man died on a cross and rose again. But that's not the Christian religion. The Christian religion is that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, a moment of history, and he was raised to life as a fact of history. And we base our resurrected life on the fact that he was really resurrected. You might think we're crazy this morning, but we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Come on, we do, don't we? That he died and he rose again. You say, well, that doesn't happen every day. It wasn't supposed to happen every day. It's supposed to happen once in a significant way for all of history. And as a result of that, we all benefit from it. And I will tell you that people have been raised from the dead since then in a different way. Not to their resurrected body. Jesus was the first to do that. And we will follow in time because he first did it. We're united with him. And certainly we will live with him. And that certainty of living is not just for the future, but it's for the now. Notice in verse 6, the old self, the old self. Look at what it says in verse 6 here. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, and the body ruled by sin, that it might be done away with, and we should no longer be slaves to sin. What does it mean that the old, the old um, self has been crucified? What does that mean? Let's talk about our old nature under sin, that when we come to Christ, uh, if anyone's in Christ, they're part of the new creation. There's, they're a new creation, right? The old has passed away, the new has come. If anyone's in Christ, are you with me? Who's in Christ? Every believer ought to be in Christ, right? If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. You say, well, I still have those same tendencies. Let's call those habits that you're overcoming, Okay? Because we're made holy in a moment, but by the presence of God, he's progressively making us more and more like himself from glory to glory. And we're doing away with those old habits. I'm hoping that if you're, if you're a growing Christian, you're not struggling exactly the same way with the things that you've always struggled with. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have ongoing temptation in the same areas. It means that some of the things that were early fleshly sins, you ought to put away with those things. And then we move on and we graduate to some of the more difficult things to uproot in our lives, don't we? Like the habits of gossip and uh, negativity and uh, complaining, right? And those ought to go too. Okay, we need to uproot some of those or, or being suspicious of everybody or not liking people because they don't fit in our particular framework. Some of those things we struggle with and we deal with and we're growing to be more like Christ, but he's perfecting us. The Bible says he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? The work of God is ongoing until Jesus comes back. He said in principle what's true of you is that you've died to the old self. And now what he said in principle, he's doing practically by uprooting those things in our life that were once uh, dominating us. It's true that they're dead, but we have to live in such a way as they're dead. Okay? The old self. And that's just one picture when it talks about that it needs to be crucified. There's other passages where it uses a different picture like changing clothes. Okay, so in Ephesians 4.22, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, the, the idea there is of taking off the old and putting on the new, right? Put off the old self. Put off. It's like exchanging something for something else. And uh, don't think that we can, um, we can do this by a purely negative approach, like just don't do, don't do, don't do. Like if you tell somebody don't do something or don't think about something, that's the exact thing they'll do. What's the answer to that? you got to not do one thing, but you need to be doing something else. Okay, are you with me? That part of this process is we get busy with uh, trusting in the Lord the way that we should. No, that sounds like we shouldn't be busy doing that, but um, the outworkings of that will create a new direction in life. As we trust in the Lord, your life will begin going a different direction. Everybody with me? Okay. And there are plenty of good works that we can be doing. Did you know that even as we talk about grace, it doesn't exclude works? Remember, we read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved, and we love that part. And then it talks about in verse 10, you're God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do, which means that God has a busyness for you that's good. There's something that we're created for. Let's cruise along here. We're united with him in uh, death, but we're also united with him in living. And verse 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. No, no longer, uh, death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but he lives the life he lives, he lives to God. This is a new orientation. The old person that we've considered crucified in Christ was self-directed or directed towards the things of the world or Satan or all of those combined. And the new life that we live in Christ is God-directed. Okay, We live our life to God, toward God, Godward in every way. That's not geographical, and sometimes that might be difficult because we live in a materialist society. We're not, we're not geographically, or like, if I really want to serve God, then I would go to this place. It's not like that. Godward has to do with the focus of how we live. Is, does it have God in mind? Is it, does it reward or honor God in what we do? Does it promote the kingdom of God or self? See, that's to live towards God. To live towards self is to be wrong directionally oriented. And I want to talk about that maybe next week. We're united with him in death. And also, I'd like you to notice in verses 9 through 11, if we're united with him in death and living, we're also united with him in death and freedom. Look at what it says here. Verse 9 says, um, For we know that uh, since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Sin no long, or Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. This is, a, this is an accounting term where we, we look at the books and we reckon 
with what's true. Anybody get nervous when it's time to pull out the checkbook? I don't. Just people even do even people know what a checkbook is anymore with the register and the balances and maybe you pull out uh, QuickBooks or some other personal accounting software. Maybe you have it on your phone or maybe you're just doing so well you don't even worry about that. You're just writing checks like nobody's business if you're even doing that anymore. But that's probably not most of us. We have to come to accounting or the bank will come to account for us, right? Something's going to happen if we don't get those things right. So we have to look at the reality of our financial situation once in a while, much as we hate doing that. In this case, it's a wonderful thing that we need to take account of who we are in God. And the account is that we are dead to sin. And what that means for us, as we're going to read, is that we are not under its bondage anymore. Folks, I don't know if you've thought about this. This can be liberating. That if we, we can as believers sin, but if we're honest, it's because we want to. But we don't have to. And so we can't keep deflecting and saying, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me doing this. We, ha- we still are free, and especially if you're in Christ, if this verse is true, then what's true of you is that you're free to make a decision. You might go along the old ways. You might follow satanic or demonic suggestion. You might go along with the world. But you don't have to. You don't have to because we're free. That's what this is saying is that we need to come to terms with the principle that you've died to all of that. Paul goes on to say, uh, in him, I'm crucified to the world and the world's crucified to me. I'm dead to that and they're dead to me. I live to God. That's freedom. We don't have to live to this world. That doesn't mean we're... We're in some kind of weird delusion that our feet aren't really touching the ground and that nothing affects us. I don't mean that. I mean that we, we in one sense, we recognize the realities of this world, but we know that Christ has overcome the world, and we're victorious in this, and that a better day is ahead. Okay? All right, finally here, I say finally, two more points. The last one's short. We're united with him uh, in death. We're united with him in freedom. Uh, finally, this, uh, this, this third area is our allegiance to him. We talked about uh, being baptized into him, being united with him, and now in verses 11 through 18, allegiance to him. Okay, notice some practical things here. I said that normally this comes out in a, a transition that takes place later in Paul's letters, but But here, I think he just can't wait to get to it. He's so excited about the implications of the theology that he's laying out, the teaching that he's telling us, the truths that he's explaining. There's some things that should come from that. And he, I don't think he can, I know he's directed by the Holy Spirit, but it seems here that uh, the Holy Spirit and Paul, they want to get to the practicals before the practical portion. Will you forgive that? Notice what it says uh, here in verse 11 once again. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Where is the, where is the responsibility fall in that verse? I mean, if we're just taking it at face value here, do not let, who's Paul talking to? Is he talking to the angels? Is he talking to God? He's talking to people like us. So the responsibility then falls on us to appropriate the power of God and overcome in these areas. That doesn't, it may sound hard. It's not as hard as it sounds. Uh, It's not like we've got to somehow go into a prayer closet for 90 days and dig up the power of God. The power of God lives in you in the Holy Spirit. So this is telling us to apply or appropriate what Christ has accomplished for us by his death. And it's not mentioned here. It is mentioned later in chapter 8. The, in, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Those two realities, that you're dead in Christ, you're alive in Him, and it doesn't tell us what alive in Him fully means in chapter 6, but in chapter 8, we find out the Holy Spirit is the life of God in us. Okay? Now. It is in us now. Notice uh, as we read on through here, do not offer any part of yourself as an instrument to wickedness, but rather... Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer 
be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. Do you think Paul's talking here about in heaven only or in now and in heaven? That we're no longer under the law in that way. I don't want to unpack all that. That's too much for this morning. But I just want to ask you, do you think this verse suggests that we still have to go on sinning or that there's freedom? I think there's freedom in this, that we can live we can live in such a way that sin no longer is our master. Okay? And, and I want you to know, I'm not trying to put condemnation. I'm saying there's a great gift that's been set before us that we can live in it. And it comes through allegiance to him. We don't get it because we're really good. Can I tell you this? Can I tell you something? I've been reading a little bit of Stoic philosophy lately. And one of the reasons I'm doing that is I'm comparing how that measured up because there were Stoics around during the time of the preaching of Christianity. And one of the things I found out is that Stoics could largely overcome their fleshly appetites without the Holy Spirit. Okay? What's our problem? I mean, they could. They could do it by sheer willpower. They probably had to do some mental tricks to get there, but they could do it. And that tells me that we've been blowing a lot of smoke in saying that we can't overcome when we can. If Stoics can do it, and that was bleak. Folks, Stoicism is bleak. We have every reason to have joy in Christ. He's given us the power to overcome. Sometimes we just don't want to. All right. Notice uh, here he says, offer don't offer, verse 13, and then it says in verse, sorry, let me look here, verse uh, 12, don't offer, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that's a negative, don't let. Uh, then there's a negative in verse 13, don't offer any part of yourself to sin, and then in verse 13 later on it says, offer yourselves to God, I think this is the point, this is a, a Greek uh, um, figure of speech in which they use what's called chiasmus, and they, they, use the, they use this X formula in order to express things, and what's at the middle of it is the most important thing. And what stands at the middle of this passage, verses 12 through uh, 14, is this statement. It stands right in the middle. You can see the A, B, C, B, A, and right in the middle of it is this statement, which is, offer yourselves to God. Offer yourselves to God. Offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. This is the statement. And the, the outworkings of this are, are something like this. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin. This is like an absolute refusal. Not even the smallest part of yourself offer to sin. Okay? This absolute refusal. Do you see that? Okay? Then it says, offer every part of yourself to him, this is an absolute offering of entirety. Okay? The word for offer here is a, a word that means something like, um, sorry, let me find it. It's, it's a sacrificial word. It's used six times in Romans. And in chapter 6, all in chapter 6 except for one time, and that's in chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, offer what? your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a sacrificial word. And what it means, actually, is to place beside or to put at someone's disposal. Um, and it's a technical term for an offering of a sacrifice. So when you offer your sacrifice to God, you're putting your life at God's disposal and saying, here it is. You can do with it what you will. And when it says, now it breaks us down to the nitty-gritty details, don't offer as a sacrifice any di or disposal, any part of yourself to sin. Don't give anything, any little part of yourself to sin. Do you see that? And then it says on the other side, give every part of yourself rather to God. How many of you, maybe you've found this to be a difficult thing. Don't raise your hand on it, but you're, you're conquering and victorious in all these areas except one. It might be doubt. It might be lust. It might be, I don't know, stealing, pride. You can name whatever it gossip. All of these areas, you're victorious. You can feel pretty good about that. Like you're the 99%. You got it all right. And then we hear Paul say through the Holy Spirit, don't offer any part of yourself to sin. None, none of it. And he says on the other side, offer all of yourself to God. This is the complete package he's asking for here. 
It's a command to us that implies that that we can still, as we're saved, retain the power to make a decision about where we're going to invest our lives. And it's not good enough to say, oh, I'm doing the 99%. He wants all of us. And so offer every part of yourself to God. Let me quickly go to this last point. It says that um, when we offer ourselves, we either offer ourselves as instruments to sin or instruments to righteousness. Instrument is the, the Greek word for tool, which, which means something that you hold in your hand for a purpose. Okay, So if you think about this, your life, your attitudes, your affections, um, your actions, they're either instruments of righteousness for God or instruments of wickedness. Tools that can be used for good or evil. And Paul, I think, here's writing to a group of Christians, and so he's telling them how the Christian life is lived out. And I think sometimes th- that we as Christians, we are in our allegiance, we're aligned with God, but in our practice, we're offering ourselves as tools for unrighteousness. And I think God would like to call us to account on that and help us to get back on track. Um, this final part here, verses 19 through 23 like you to notice the benefits from him, and then we're done. You would expect this to say something a little bit different, but notice what it says, verse 19. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your limited, your human limitations. Um, but as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. So in the past, we were slaves of one, and the NIV doesn't shy away from using that same term in relationship to our relationship with God. Because he said earlier, and maybe he'll say it again here, uh, the one that you serve is the one whose slave you are. Okay? We don't like, we don't like that word for good reasons. But here, Paul is bringing a, um, an illustration in from culture in that day of the Roman Empire, read one statistic on this. I think it was from Ronald Stark that over half the Roman Empire at that time were slaves. Over half. So this is something really prominent. And people would have understood this as part of daily life. Paul's not condoning this, but what he's doing is he's saying, let's look at an example that we'll all understand. Okay. He says, you understand what slavery is about. If you offer yourselves as a servant to something, that's whose servant you are. And if you consistently offer yourself as a servant to sin, you're a slave to sin. But if you offer yourself as a servant to God, don't be troubled by that. We're still sons and daughters. Sometimes we get in either-or categories and we want to say, well, Jesus said we're no longer servants, we're friends. That's true. But these are pictures that he's trying to use to develop relationship. What is it that we're giving our lives to? What is it? So he says, he goes on to say this. I should wrap up. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Verse 21, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? You used to serve sin. What benefit was there in it? Those things result in death. Verse 22, but now that you've been set free, do you hear that? Now, present tense, we're not waiting till death to be set free from sin. Okay, now... Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. So God's developing holiness in us. And the result is eternal life. If we were not to read the next verse, we might think Paul is saying that by our servanthood to sin or to righteousness, we're earning either a reward of death or a reward of life. That would seem reasonable. But then you read the next verse, and you're caught off by an irony here. Look at what it says. For the wages of sin is death. And what we might expect is for it to say in the next verse, but the wages of, uh, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But that's not what he says, is it? He says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is by grace. This is something God has granted. And if I'm preaching... What seems to us today a hard message is probably because I'm focusing here on our responsibility 
you need to know that what underlies all of this is the enabling power of God to do it. It's there. We can. We can live the way God's called us to. We can be free from sin. We don't have to go on living in those old ways anymore. Okay? We're, we're free to follow Christ, and he will give us freedom to overcome in every area. And I would suggest to you that this is God's will for us and our responsibility as we've read today. There's more in this that we, we could take time to unpack, but we're out of time this morning. I'd like you to notice that he wants us to be uh, understand that we're baptized into Christ. When we come to Christ, we're baptized into him. We're united with him so that when you come to Christ, all that's true of him in the sense of his work and accomplishments is transferred to our account, and we're given victory. And then we find ourselves in allegiance to him, and this is where we the rubber meets the road is, which allegiance does your life show you have? Okay? You know, if, if you are a United States citizen, but you're selling secrets to another nation, you might have, you might say that you're an American, but your actions say that you're really something else, right? And so we want to ask ourselves, where is our allegiance in practical terms? And then the benefits from him are eternal life through Christ as we trust in him. Um, if you're just starting out, you might find in, in your walk with God some struggles and um, I would also say that being saved doesn't always mean feeling saved. Okay? It's not a feeling. We're trusting in a person. And I don't know if you've ever been in love before, but that's a roller coaster ride. Right? And you might have somebody that you love that you're like, do you love me? It doesn't feel like you love me. And they're like, I love you. Right? You've probably been through that a few times in 54 years, Gary, right? Do you love me? I love you. I'm still here, right? And it goes beyond that. But uh, the point that I'm trying to make is that this relationship with God is not about how we feel at any moment. It's about the fact that he is a promise-keeping God who loves us. And he just accomplished something for us in the cross of Christ and the resurrection. And it's ours whether we're feeling it or not. You might not feel victorious, but you're victorious in Christ, you're as strong as the frame on which you lean. Are you with me? He is strong enough to bear anyone up. This Christianity is a rubber-meets-the-road religion. Like, you have all these other flowery ones that you sit around and nasal gave, gaze and think about how wonderful it is and get yourself into deception about reality. No, Christianity doesn't deny reality. It tells it like it is, but it meets it with equal force and the power of God. Not wonderful? Like, you can really be sick. Well, I'm really sick. But God's power is enough to heal. It's rubber meets the road kind of stuff. There might be real struggles with sin. You might be facing them right now. The power of God is enough, and what he's accomplished for you is enough to give you victory. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to see when we really understand what God has given us here, where that's gonna, what that's going to do for us as Christians. Stand with me if you would. Thanks for your... Gracious attention. It doesn't matter today how uh, we feel about this. What matters is are we willing to trust God and step out into it? Are you united with Him? So, Father, I just pray today for those that are standing here, Lord. Um, I think true seekers after you, they want to love you and walk with you. I pray that you give us, Lord, the um, assurance that in the, the life that we would live for you, that you're there to meet us and that you've, uh, you've accomplished these things on our behalf. If we'll stand in the truth of them, it will make all the difference in the world. We trust you to do that. And if there's a struggle that's being faced right now, we pray, Lord, that you give uh, an assurance of the power and the victory to overcome and that you would come along beside in the way that only you're able to do. Help us to know a way out. You've said in your word that no temptation has taken us except what is common to everyone. And with the temptation, you will make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. That's a promise. And so that we don't have to live under the bondage of sin, which is destructive to ourselves and everyone we know. It's destructive to the world. 
Instead, we can live in freedom and true holiness, which brings your kingdom down in an amazing way. And so we ask, Lord, you help us to do that in Jesus' name. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never taken that uh, shift of allegiance and said, no longer I but him, today you can do that. If you just say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm putting my confidence in you. I've made a mess of things. And Lord, would you pick up the pieces and make something beautiful out of it for your sake? He died on the cross, which we've been trying to make clear today, to take your sin upon himself. And he rose again to give us life, both life now and eternal life in the glorious bodies he'll prepare for us. But it requires for us to decide to follow him. And so today I'm asking for you to consider, will you make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Or would you rather continue to go on that road? And I'm asking you, please, choose Jesus. You'll never regret it. And if you have chosen Christ to be your Lord and Savior, but you're not walking in the victory that God's given you today, would you just say to him, Father, would you forgive me? Forgive me, and Lord, help me to know and walk in the victory that you've given to me. In Jesus' name, a simple prayer like that could be the very thing that brings on victory over besetting sin. And so I'd like to welcome you. If you'd like to come to the altar for a couple minutes, we're going to sing one song, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to take our sins upon himself so that we might live in newness of life. And we thank you, God, that you searched us out and by the Holy Spirit convicted us and found us and that you love us enough to take us from our position of lowliness and failure and having made a mess and uh, bringing us into a new and a glorious um, reality in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We ask, Father, that you help us to be willing to to crucify ourselves and to lay lay ourselves down, that we take take up uh, the cross that you've called us to and to follow after you and to make your kingdom the chief pursuit of our life. We pray you help us in that. As we go from this place, Lord, it's not just a Sunday thing. We need to know that this is the call for every day. Help us, we pray in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Any announcements? Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.